the time together with my parents was truly a delight. Uh, one of those times in life where you can stop and catch up. And one of the highlights of that visit for me was time that my mother and I took to sit down and, and go over the past, to go over the family history of the past. Now, I had heard the family stories, the family history of generations back through the years growing up. I had heard these stories many times, but I admit to you, because life was always taking me another direction or I was eager to do something, that I often offered a lot of, yeah, uh-huh, uh-huh, yeah, okay, move on with the story. I want to get on to life. I don't want to listen to other people's stories. And so... This was a time for me with my mom to, to sit down and take a lot of those stories that were kind of on the shelf in my mind that I, that I knew about, but I couldn't quite put together. They didn't, they didn't make sense, and I was finally at a time in my life that I, I kind of wanted to know more of the past in the family history. Has that happened to you before, where you've heard the stories, but you just didn't pay attention, it didn't matter, and then you got to that point, you wanted to know. You wanted to put it together. So mom and I sat down, and we began to go over the stories. Now, we did this without my Grammy, who usually was there in the previous times to help put the stories together, help us make sense. And, and my mom was suddenly in that position of realizing she was the one to retain the stories. So with the help of the Internet... We started to put it all together. Started to put together the different family members of generations past and how the stories started to flow together. And I started to learn some things of my own history, who I am. You know, there's a lot that goes into each of us, a lot of the past. Some of it uh, we can see in, in, a, in a child or grandchild, we can see that little grin or the twinkle in the eye, and it, it makes us think of maybe a grandparent long before. We can see that the mannerism has been passed down, that somehow it's there, and it puts us a reminder, right? You know, oh, they look like uncle so-and-so, Right? There's other times that are, there are things that hand down, we're, we're just not as conscious of it, but maybe this has happened to you before where you've said something to one of your children, maybe you were correcting them, and you said it, and the moment you said it, you said, I just sounded like my mom. That happened to you? Well, interestingly enough, your mom remembers the same feeling. I just sounded like my mom. And the chances are that pattern that you repeat is probably a pattern that goes back several generations, and we just don't know it. There's a fair amount that's passed down to us, not only in our DNA, but in our behaviors and our attitudes. There's, there's things that are good as well as things that are bad, and those chains need to be broken. But there are a number of things passed down to us. Isn't it interesting? I was looking over my ancestors, 
and struck by the idea that only a brief recollection or two was all that was remembered about that whole person's life. Now, before you get sorrowful about that, thinking about what will be passed on in your own life, those items that were remembered were the pivotal items, the items that changed trajectory in the family systems. That's why they're remembered. We are on a journey right now from Easter to Pentecost. And in the journey that we're taking, we're looking at some of the lesser known participants in the New Testament. Some of the people that are either named for us or maybe we don't have their name, but they played a part that still had a significant role in the development of the faith, in the development of Christianity, that they're recalled, that they're remembered. We get just pieces. And we're covering these people because Peter, John, and James, and, and Paul, they're all big names. And sometimes we lift them up on a pedestal and we can't relate. But we're, we're walking alongside these lesser known people to recall something of who we are, and maybe even who we can be. That if they did it, maybe we can too. This morning, where previous mornings we've dealt with uh, people like the two walking to Emmaus, or the other week we dealt with Barnabas, three weeks ago we dealt with Thomas. Today we're dealing with a new name a Greek name, and that name is Epaphras. Epaphras. Now, if you're like me, you're already tuning that name out, so I'm going to make you say it. Epaphras. E-P-A, instead of F, it's P-H-R-U-S. Epaphras. And in case you're struggling even now to say that name, Epaphras, I want you to know my spell check struggled as well. It would not let me write that name. It couldn't even give me good suggestions of what I should be putting down. My computer was in essence telling me, what is wrong with you? Epaphras is that distant in mind. If I were to ask you to raise hands now, right, how many people know of Epaphras? The majority of us would feel in good company as we looked around and said, not I. And yet his name shows up a variety of times. So we're going to read into what's happened. We're going to pull out the little bit of nuggets of the stories that are retained to us in the letters and Acts of the Apostles. And we're going to start to put together who Epaphras was and what that means for us and how our life can be different. We're going to do that by journeying through Paul's letter to the church in Colossae. We'll say more about Colossae in a moment. We're going to read from Colossae chapter 1, verse 3. So let's pray together. Well, Lord, this is different for us. Oh, we're praying that your spirit would open the word once again, like we do each Sunday. 
we're praying that somehow we would have ears to hear, that hearts to truly take in what you have to teach. But today we're, we're pushing into space that is somewhat foreign for us. And the foreign often makes us both excited as well as uncomfortable and unsure. So we pray, Lord, that you would hold our hand and walk us through this time that we might discover what we could learn. In Jesus' name, amen. Once again, the Apostle Paul is writing to the church in Colossae after his opening greeting of saying, hey, Paul, I'm the one writing and I'm writing to you in Colossae. We pick up in verse 3 these words. Paul writes, We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed the whole world is bearing fruit and increasing, and it always does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Okay, what do we learn? A few things. First off, Paul is writing to a church in Colossae. Um, Brief geographical lesson for those of you who don't like geography. You can tune out for the moment. We'll bring you back in when we're ready. Colossae is in what we think of Turkey today, southwest Turkey. Back then, it was known as Asia Minor, and Colossae is near two other cities, Heriopolis, I won't make you say it, and Laodicea. Laodicea shows up in our minds in the book of Revelation when when the writer speaks of, hey, be you not either hot or cold as they are in Laodicea. Be be you not lukewarm, but be hot or cold. That's what I meant to say. I got that backwards. But it's in Laodicea. Heriopolis, Laodicea, and Colossae. We might as well be talking, and distance somewhat the same, we might as well be talking about Hamilton, Holland, and Zealand. Relative proximity, 10, 12 miles apart from one another. And maybe similar in sizes. All right, you got a picture? Now, not the same size during tulip time, don't get me wrong. So Paul is writing to this church in Colossae, and he falls back on a favorite use that he has. We hear that use in 1 Corinthians 13, when Paul talks about faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of these is love, right? Paul uses that threefold faith, love, and hope. He uses them as a way to bring forward his his point of support and encouragement. He speaks to the people in Colossae, the Colossians letter. He says, we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus. We've heard of your faith in Christ Jesus. 
he focuses that the letter is about the fact that these people in Colossae now have faith in Christ Jesus. That's where we are. We gather here this morning because we share a common bond that we have faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, that God sent him into the world, that he gave up his life so that we could have life. He died for our sins, our transgressions, those ways in which we miss the mark before God. And that because he took our place on the cross, we now are free from those sins. We put our trust in Jesus Christ. That's a faith. We're fa we have faith in Christ. Paul says, we've heard that you have faith in Christ. More than that, we've also heard that because you have faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, you have love for all the saints. In other words, that's a, a nice way of saying you have love for all the believers. You share a common bond with one another. Look, even here today, we are all very different from one another. But what brings us here and holds us in common is our faith in Christ. And because of that, we are already on the path towards loving one another. We're willing to support and encourage and strengthen one another, to have love for one another. Remember, faith, love, and hope. Paul is working through these. Paul is saying, look, every time we think of you, we stop and we're praying for you. We're thankful for you because we've heard that you have a faith in Christ Jesus. And because of that faith, you're willing to love one another. You're no longer living just for yourself, just for your family, just for your own system of work. You're now willing to reach across and love others in the faith. And then the third thing he writes, and because of that, because of that faith you have in Christ that's lived out in loving one another, you have hope in heaven. Hope in heaven. I love the way Paul thinks about this. He wants us to be clear, both the believers in Colossae, but also us as well. He wants us to understand that this gift that we've been given through Jesus Christ, this faith that we have, that our sins have been forgiven, that we can walk with Christ, is not something that anyone else can take away from us. It is a hope it is a future that we know is going to happen, and it's held for us in heaven. You can't jump up and take it away. It's held up there. No one can take it away from us. It is a hope that is certain. And so in this opening greeting to the letter, this letter to the church in Colossae, Paul uses his threefold formula that he writes in a number of other places, the one that is most common, I'm looking to the, the married couple, the most recent married couple, you know, that, that love chapter of faith, love, and hope. He falls back into the formula and he writes that to the church in Colossae as kind of that opening greeting that every time they think of them, they pray for them and they're just so thankful that they have faith in Christ, they love one another, and that that can't be taken away from them because they have this hope, this reality of a future that cannot be taken from them, that it's held in heaven. That's what Paul writes. But did you catch what he said at the start of that? He says it in verse 4 of our reading today. He also says it in verse 9, that they have heard 
that Colossae has this faith, this love, and this hope. In other words, Paul is writing a letter to a church he's never met. He's writing to a people he hasn't met. Many of Paul's letters and his works are all to people that he's spent time with, he's been with, he's journeyed with. He's walked through life with them. He's worked beside them. He's sharing and writing to them just like you and I. We write to people we know and love. Paul is this time writing to a people he has not met. He's only heard of them. And who has he heard about that heard from them about them? Epaphras, our person today. Epaphras is the one for whom the church in Colossae, Laodicea, and Heliopolis, if you want Hamilton, Zealand, and Holland, the Admiralty of the day, for that reason, they have all come to hear and learn about and discover Jesus Christ. Epaphras, this name we can hardly pronounce and my computer won't accept. So the question is, where did Epaphras hear about Christ? We don't know, but this we do know. When Paul was on one of his missionary journeys, he tried to enter this part of Asia Minor. He tried to go into there and share the word of Jesus Christ, but he was prevented by the Spirit. He was not allowed to go into this area. Instead, he had to go around and make this much longer trip. But we know that he eventually lands in, comes to a place called Ephesus, the letter to the Ephesians, Ephesus. Ephesus was an enormous port in the times of Rome, an enormous port, a place through which all manner of people traveled, and one of the places of the seven wonders of the ancient world, the temple of Artemis, Artemis of the Ephesians, was there in Ephesus, one of the, one of the great wonders of the ancient world. Ephesus was a very important place. And when Paul arrived there, he began what he usually does. He started teaching in the synagogues because, again, remember that the early believers were all Jews who came to believe that the Messiah had come. So he starts out in the synagogue, and that lasts maybe about three weeks before they don't like it anymore. And so Paul has to go out and rent another space. He rents the hall of Tyrannus. And there for two years, he sits in this place as a teacher, and people gather from all over the world. Traveling in and out of this port because of business or what have you, they come in and out of this space, and he teaches. It is very much believed that one of those travelers was Epaphras that he made that 110, 120-mile journey from Colossae to Ephesus for what reason, we don't know, but stopped in, happened in, checked out what's going on in that room. A nice big hall, maybe the size of this. 
Looks like it was probably used during the hot hours of the day when other teachers wouldn't use it. And there, Epaphras likely learned about our Lord Jesus Christ. And he took what he learned home. Each of us carries stories. Every time we get together and meet new people, we start sharing stories with one another. We hear their stories, they hear ours. We look for common connectors, whether it's things we like to do, places we've been, people we know, you know, the old Dutch bingo game. We do that to try and start aligning. Epaphras carries the story of Jesus Christ. He's a cross-pollinator. He carries the story of Jesus on the cross back to his people. And he begins to share with them. He has a passion for them, that they might know the hope that is before them and for them. We too are called to carry that story. The reality that Jesus died on the cross for our sins. That all that we're facing doesn't have to be the end, but rather that there's a much greater gift for us. A promise of new life, a promise of forgiveness, a promise of hope. The temptation in reading over the letter is to read right over Epaphras' name. I don't know about you, but I do that. When I can't pronounce a name or don't know the, uh, how to say a person's name or even know where a city is, I just kind of read over it. It's, it's material I kind of take in, but I, I want to get the larger story. I move on. So there's no surprise if many of us just read right over Epaphras and move on to what Paul has to say. But Paul, Paul pauses Paul doesn't immediately move on. He pauses to talk about Epaphras. He calls him a beloved fellow servant. That's Epaphras' relationship to Paul, a beloved fellow servant. By the way, I should probably tell you that Paul learns about this church in Colossae, the church in Laodicea and Hierapolis. He learns about these three churches while he's in prison in Rome. Epaphras has traveled all the way to Rome to meet with Paul, to share what's happened, as well as to talk over, hey, we're dealing with this, what do you think? Which is part of what motivates the writing of the letter. But Epaphras has come all the way to Rome. And Paul refers to him as a beloved fellow servant. Beloved, how much do each of us want to be loved? To really be beloved. You know, early on in youth ministry, when I was a youth minister, one of the things they told us um, when you boil it all down, that the junior hire's number one question, whether they know it or not, whether they're able to articulate it or not, the number one question on the heart of every junior hire is simply this, when they encounter someone else, do you love me? And through the years, I've grown convinced that's not the number one question on the junior hire's heart. That's the number one question on everyone's heart. Paul calls him beloved 
It's not just a word he throws out. It's a word of great meaning. Epaphras has value to Paul. He's loved by Paul. He's a fellow believer in Jesus Christ. Beloved fellow servant. That fellow part speaks it all. He shares in the ministry with Paul. Whether he's present with Paul or he's hundreds of miles away somewhere else, we, each of us, share a ministry. We are in a faith tradition that doesn't believe that the only ministry is done by the person who holds the credentials, but rather that we are all ministers of Jesus Christ. All of us carry that responsibility together. Yes, with different strengths and different abilities, but we are all ministers of Jesus Christ. We are all working in this together. When we go on a mission trip or something like that, we feel that all the more. We feel that connectiveness. We might not all be doing the same tasks. Some of us might be out scraping the house. Others might be painting it. Some might be back in the kitchen getting the meal ready for when we come back. Others may be organizing us, but we're all fellow ministers. We're all working together. Beloved fellow servant. And here Paul is given probably the greatest accolade. Because in essence, what he's saying is, Epaphras gets it. Epaphras understands what it is to be about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Epaphras understands who Jesus was. Jesus, the Lord of life, the King of kings, came into this world. And what did he do? He came humbly. He had every right to have everyone fall immediately on their knees and bow down. Everywhere he went, he had all right and claim. The angels could have descended, legions upon legions of angels, praising his name everywhere he went, because that is who he is. But that's not who he came as. He came as a baby born in a manger, in a feeding trough. And he humbled himself over and over again as a servant to the people, teaching and guiding and loving. And then he went to the cross in that spirit. Paul is saying of Epaphras, he gets it. We're about being servants. That word servant is doulos in Greek, and it has two meanings. And so for our English-speaking ears, there's a care that is taken by translators as they translate that word that has two meanings because they know one meaning is hard for us to hear. The other is softer, and we can kind of take it in. The idea of being a servant, we can accept that. The other part of that word, slave. Slave. In other words, we are enslaved to the gospel. And if you don't like that word, I fully understand. I can share that with you. But Paul writes in another place, to, in another letter, he writes, in truth, we are all slaves. It's just a question of what we are slaves to. Slaves to the world or slaves to Jesus Christ? But make no mistake, we're slaves. Paul is saying of Epaphras, he's a beloved fellow servant. That's his relationship to Paul. But then he writes about his relationship 
to God. He says he's a faithful minister of Christ. Faithful. In other words, he keeps at it. He doesn't stop. He keeps trusting. Every time he falls down, he trusts that God will be there to help pick him up and give him another chance. He keeps trying. Think about it. We can't walk out and just share Christ with people and everybody starts popping up. Oh, this is wonderful. Thanks for telling me. That's not what happens in our life, is it? We're kind of cautious. We're careful. We're hesitant to say anything. We don't even want to upset family members because we know how hard it is for people to receive. That's never changed. But that doesn't mean you have to bang on people's doors. That means that he kept looking for ways to share the hope that he had found through Jesus Christ. And that good news, that gospel, has a way of bearing fruit over time. He's a faithful minister of Christ. And that word for minister is the same word we use for our deacons today, diakonos. And that word came out of the idea of waiting tables. So next meal, by the way, deacons, you know what you're up to. Waiting tables, that idea of caring for the basic needs of people, to be with them, to walk life with people, he is a faithful minister of Christ because he lives what Christ lived. We don't have to be great, wonderful saints and huge names. We can be names that fall into the pages of time that people read over or never knew. But the impact we can make can change whole communities. Whole communities. He's a cross-pollinator. He's come and he's told Paul about how the faith has grown in Colossae, Hierapolis, and Laodicea. And Paul now is writing a letter back to them to encourage them and to help them through some of their challenges. And because of that, we have a letter even today that we're reading because Epaphras long ago made hundreds of miles of a journey. And because he cared that much about his brothers and sisters in the faith, and it didn't matter whether he was remembered or not. And he doesn't show up just here. He shows up in the letter to Philemon, too. That's a whole other story. If you want to know more about it, ask me afterwards. We'll talk. But he plays a part there, too. We're almost done with him. You see, because his name is lifted up again at the end. Paul has a way when he writes his letters. At the end, he does this kind of, often he does this laundry list of, hey, and by the way, these people are with me. They send greetings to you. And, and by the way, say hi to so-and-so. It's kind of this wrap-up time that, again, because there's a bunch of names we can't pronounce, we kind of read over. But Paul writes this among his list of people who greet the church in Colossae. He writes this. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. 
For I, that is Paul, I bear witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and in Hierapolis. If by chance, in hearing the word of God today, you're thinking, yeah, but that's still too great of a challenge for me. I can't do that. I have trouble just talking to people. The idea of sharing Christ, and, and I never know when to share and how to share. That's just, that's, other people are better than that, than, at that than I am. If that's where you are, remember this other piece. Epaphras, now hundreds of miles away from the churches he's planted, is now actively engaged in prayer, wrestling, struggling, praying to God that those who are in the faith, that are young in the faith, that they may grow mature, that they may have the confidence that is in the gospel of Jesus Christ. I promise you that everything in God's word says that if the people are in prayer, if the people of God are in prayer, look out, world. There is no reason there can't be every one of us an Epaphras who is praying to God for our family, for our friends, our coworkers, our acquaintances, praying that they grow stronger in the faith. There is nothing that holds us back from doing that. So I invite you on this journey to Pentecost to consider how you might grow into a name we can't even pronounce, but yet gives us all sorts of inspiring on how we are to follow Christ. Let's pray. Almighty God, in the end, may your name be glorified. May Jesus Christ be lifted up. May Epaphras' name fall back into the pages of time, but may we be reminded that in the end, it is all about you. And may we find a way to once again place you at the center of our lives that others may come to know, come to know the incredible love that you have for us and that they may grow in love for one another, that together we might all hold on to the hope that is ours through Jesus Christ. This we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Beloved fellow servants, May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you this day and forevermore. Amen.